Hey everybody, JB here. Thank you for tuning into the Trap Rock 101 podcast from Pirates and Poets. Appreciate you uh, joining us here every week. This is the uh, podcast where we take a look back at the history of the Trap Rock community, Trap Rock genre, and attempt to build a oral history of all that has happened in our uh, crazy little unique family. This week's episode features Jim Asbell, singer-songwriter and band leader of the Tropaholics. He's based out of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, you know, you you could say Atlanta is the birthplace. Uh, you could certainly say Atlanta is the birthplace of the Parrothead movement, but you could probably make a pretty good case for it being the birthplace of uh, Trap Rock as well. Although uh, Jerry Diaz would kill me if he heard me say that because we say that New Orleans is the birthplace of Trap Rock. Anyway, Atlanta is certainly a important place when you talk about the history of our community and uh, Jim it's an interesting part of that. He kind of uh, came in uh, the second wave of music out of Atlanta after A1A. We talk about a lot of that kind of stuff. But first, I want to uh, take, care of a fuck, uh, take care of a couple housekeeping things. Uh, first off, this is the Trap Rock 101 podcast. Uh, you can find us online at piratesandpoets.net slash troprock101. Or you can go to podbean.net and search troprock101. The easiest way to listen to us is through apps on your smartphone, Spotify, the Podbean app, Apple Podcasts, and several others. We are available on all of those. Just download one of those apps, look us up, and you can listen to us on your smartphone, in the car, at your desk, wherever you go. Uh, and please tell your friends about about us. Uh, we are... Uh, we are growing. Our numbers are going up every week, but we certainly want to reach as many people as possible. So please uh, tell your friends about us and share our posts on social media. Also, uh, I'm seeing a lot of people kind of asking about Key West, the traditional meeting of the minds week uh, in Key West at the end of October, first part of November. Um, lots of us, uh, a lot of people are still going. A lot of musicians and promoters and radio stations are still planning on going as of right now. If you go to TropRockStrong.com, click on Schedule, you can see a list of some of the shows that are still happening that is not a uh, complete or exhaustive list by any means, but it gives you at least an idea of what uh, what's coming up in Key West at the end of October. And if you're a musician and your, your gigs are not already on there, please add them to that because uh, we want everyone to know what's going on in Key West. And finally, want to say a big thank you to my friend Doug Meisinger. And the Clear Lake Today crew for uh, letting me use their studio this week. Uh, I moved over the weekend and uh, had a bunch of interviews lined up this week. And come to find out, the internet situation at my new house is not real good. So I'm waiting on that to get upgraded. In the meantime, Doug was kind enough to let me use his studio and his internet. And I greatly appreciate it. So thank you, Doug and Clear Lake Today. So anyway, back to Jim Asbell. Uh, really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I've known Jim for a long time, probably, I don't know, 10, 13 years, somewhere in there. And I uh, don't get to see him very often, but always enjoy hanging out with him. Uh, like myself, he is a fan of tequila. He loves the agave. We have that in common. And uh, he uh, he's a good songwriter and, and fronts a great band. The Tropaholics are a, a fun band. We talk a lot about the band and how the band has grown. Nine-piece band, that's... Uh, I'm, I'm quite sure that's the biggest band in the trap rock genre. So uh, enjoy all that. We do talk about, uh, you know, kind of uh, his history in Atlanta and, and what it's like to be around the birthplace of the Parrothead movement and uh, to kind of follow in the footsteps of Jeff Pike and Scott Nickerson with A1A as, as the uh, the main trap rock draw in the Atlanta area. Talk about his uh, his experiences and travels around the country, specifically in the southeast United States. Panama City Beats, Music on the Bay in Tampa, uh, events like that. We also talk about uh, Putin Bay a lot. Uh, Putin Bay seems to be coming up a lot in these interviews. Maybe I need to go back there sometime soon. So anyway, uh, thank you for tuning in to Trap Rock 101. Thanks for supporting Pirates and Poets and all the great musicians we work with. And please enjoy my conversation with Jim Asbell. As far as uh, background, I had uh, for a long time played um, more heavy music in my youth and uh, took a break from it, just basically quit playing for years and years and years and um, happened to come up to a, uh, a friend of mine uh, named Mark Lancaster, who was a very big Buffett fan. And he always threw a, a party on, uh, on the uh, day of the Kentucky Derby. So one day we were over there and he was playing one of uh, one of Buffett's, I think it was a one, a uh, album and, 
And, you know, every song came on there. I was like, that's a good song. Well, that's a good song. And he also had a, uh, an old Martin guitar just in a case over in the corner. And so uh, I saw that and said, you know, she, uh, Martin back then, um, you know, a Martin guitar was a Stradivarius of, uh, of American guitar. So we got that out, started playing it, playing play along with the stuff. And that kind of got me going on uh, wanting, to, wanting to start playing music and everything. Started that out and um, come to find out that a guy I work with, Todd Agu, uh, was also a musician. Todd was a, an honest-to-God musician, though. I was basically just a guy who picked up a guitar player, I had a guitar and played it. But um, we started uh, messing around, playing stuff together, and um, landed a couple of gigs. Um, started to really enjoy it, and, it, you know, it kind of grew from there. It's just people would see you, and uh, the first time we played, we were at a party on a guy's deck, and we just happened, like I say, grab the guitars in the house and a keyboard, and, and the guy said, well, you know, how much do you charge? <laughs> And we said, well, you know, I started talking about uh, getting paid for it, which was amazing. So I went on from there, started playing uh, small gigs, parties, that kind of thing, and did that for a a couple of years. And then Todd got uh, relocated to D.C., Washington, D.C., and I was here and started doing just a bunch of solo stuff um, around town. I landed a gig, a regular gig, at a place called the Lazy Dog Tavern in a little town called Snellville, Georgia. It was right next to a uh, like a florist and a laundromat and a strip mall. And um, when uh, when I got the gig there, it was every every Friday or Saturday we alternated for just a couple of years, almost every weekend. And uh, that's where I kind of got my chops. Started playing all kind of different music. That's where uh, you know you learn how to put up with drunks and uh, and drink stuff you really didn't want. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Did that for uh, for a couple of years, and then um, things just started. The guy that owned it uh, sold it, and of course, you know, as as with most of these bars, uh, the new owner wasn't as as fond of of me as the old guy. So, kind of drifted away, and I just about uh, come to a point where I thought, okay, well, this is good enough. You know, I've I've had my fun, and I was uh, talking to a guy that, that I also worked with, and he said, you know, there's a there's a place in Gwinnett County, which is a one of the uh, one of the suburban counties here of Atlanta, that he had a place at the uh, Gwinnett County Airport called the Flying Machine. And um, he was looking for uh, what he called a Buffett-only show. And he said, yeah, I told him, gave me your name and everything. And, and uh, so I called him up and he said, yeah, yeah, uh, come on out. You know, we'll, uh, we'll have you audition and play. And so I did that. And, you know, it was, it was when I went out to, to, it wasn't really an audition. He just wanted me to play a couple of tunes, but, the place was uh, right off the runway, and so it was loud, and it was a dive. And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, what am I doing? Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and play the gig. I went back and played it. But at that particular gig, there were three people from the Lake Lanier Paradise Club, uh, Billy Pate, Frank uh, Troncoli, and a lady named Jackie Brown, who had seen it in the little ad he'd put in their Gwinnett paper, and they came and saw me. Well, they were part of uh, Lake Lanier Paradise Club which is uh, Lake Lanier is about 30, 40 miles north of Atlanta. And they hired me for a gig. And then a guy there saw me that owned a restaurant called Wild Wing Cafe. And he saw me. And so uh, here I went again and did that for, uh, uh, for years and years. And then um, after a while, Todd got transferred back down. We started doing the duo thing again. We started picking up people here and there um, to play with us. And next thing we know, we're down in Key West one year. We, that's about the time we landed our first round of Key West gigs uh, at the Bull, which was, I guess, about 15 years ago now. Um, and we were playing there every year, and uh, a guy I know named Charlie DeCosa, I think you may know Charlie, um, yes. from down in Orlando, came up one night and said, you know, I charted out your songs here on the horns, and we've got three horns here. We'd love to come up and, and join you. I said, ah, sure, what the hell, you know? It's Key West. So they came up, and we played, and we had a blast. And, uh, again, uh, after the show, somebody, well, we want to hire you with your horn section. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, I don't really have a horn section. But, yeah, of course we can. You know, I'll get the horns and call Charlie up and say, hey, by the way, pal, you know, you got a gig now. So that's how the horns came in. That's how all that happened. Um, we were playing, um, you know, a lot of gigs uh, for parrot head clubs around with that configuration. We had Lisa Herman in there doing backing vocals. Everybody loves Lisa. And uh, we uh, we did a long a long stint with that. And then one year we decided at Music on the Bay, we've been there every year uh, that they've had it, that we wanted to put together a full band. And so uh, 
Todd knew a couple of guys back from D.C., and we said, yeah, we got them. We put them a set list together and sent them some demos on how we wanted to play the songs because they were in D.C. I was here. And, um, you know, we were all ready to go in about, I guess, about a month before we got the call. Hey, man, we got a better gig. So, uh, oh, damn. no dice. But uh, luckily, the guy that played guitar with us, Dwayne Harley, knew a couple of guys in Detroit. And uh, they nailed it. I mean, they came down after about a month of rehearsals and, that is the Tropaholics band, as you know it today, those guys, uh, me and Todd. And, uh, and that's how that all came together. It's just all kind of weird stuff that happened along the way. It was never planned. It was never like, you know, I want to be a Buffett band and I want to play with this many people. It just kind of, hey, that looks fun. Let's join. Let's join. And uh, these guys, luckily, and of course, with Dwayne, it, it wouldn't have been any other way. But these guys love to play, and they're very fun to be around. For me, it was it was always more about uh, wanting to have a, a fun band and people that wanted to be there as opposed to, you know, an orchestra. So that's kind of how I got where I am. That's in a, you know, short form there. Hopefully that's uh, what you're looking for. Well, I've got two questions to, to go back to the airport bar. Yeah. Um, first off, when, uh, when you say it was an all Buffett gig, like yes. how much, how much Buffett did you know? Did you well, know at the, yeah, I'm sorry. At the time, I knew a bunch. Um, when, like I said, I went to that party and heard A1A and went out and bought just about everything he had and started learning them. And, you know, uh, not to put anybody down, but Buffett stuff ain't that hard to learn with just an acoustic guitar. So that was what I was doing. And, and around here at the time, there were a lot of bars around uh, where I live. I live out in Ackworth, Georgia. There were really small places, you know, 50 to 75 that would, would hire you for that. So, uh, of course, everybody wants to hear their favorite Buffett song and, they're all different, right? You know that as well as I do, that somebody knows cut number seven from the fifth album, you know, that he played live backwards or something, and they want you to do that version. So anyway, that's I learned them that way, and um, that kind of was a calling card for a long time is that I could play just about any song that people requested. And that got me a gig at um, – I was playing uh, at, at Jackie Brown, the people that came to see me at the Fly Machine. Her, her family was having a party, and – Another guy there, Frank McInville, I'm sure you know Frank, uh, was just firing up requests left and right. And so once he got involved, that kind of got the Atlanta club involved and uh, went on from there. But, yeah, that's I knew a bunch of them in back then. I haven't played since we started doing more original stuff. I haven't played a lot of his his stuff as much. But, yeah, I knew a bunch. Yeah, that was when I first – and I, I don't know how long I've known you, 10, 12 years now probably. And that was one of the things that struck me when I first saw you playing was – how many old obscure Buffett songs you could just pull out of your hat. And I, I didn't know if, you know, if, if you learned all the songs and then found the paired heads or found the paired heads and then learned the songs. So yeah, it was a little bit of simultaneous. I knew much, I knew uh, probably about 50 of them before I ever met them just playing around. But afterwards, yeah, it, it grew. I think at one time Todd and I counted up and there were about a hundred and something, 115, maybe. Dang, Peter, yeah. Peter that many man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and when when was that? Like time wise, that, that um, those gigs at the airport dive bar. <laughs> um, you know that had to be it had to be twenty years ago. I don't know exactly the date. I would check with my mates there on that, but um, it had to be right around that time frame. Um, I played at least three or four years at um, at the at uh, Wild Wing on the patio every Saturday and Sunday and. Uh, you know, that's where you really get a lot of a lot of requests, too. So it was probably right about that time frame. Cool. And you're, I mean, you're, you live in Atlanta, based out of Atlanta, um, which is, you know, the first Paradise Club was the Atlanta Paradise Club. Uh, Scott Nickerson and Jeff Pike started yep. what was one, if not the first trap rock band, one of the first two or three trap rock bands. So were you aware of them at all before you, were you aware of A1A, I guess, before you found the Parrot Heads or... Was that something you discovered? Yeah, it was. It was discovered. I had once I started playing. Of course, everybody, um, you know how the parrotheads are when you play. They come to you on a break or whatever. And say, man, you need to you need to hear A one A. And so I went and um, actually, uh, if you ever talk to Jeff, he'll tell you the stories about uh, him playing at a bar in Marietta, which is maybe twenty miles, fifteen miles from my house at most. It was called uh, Hemingway's, and they were up there one night, and I went and caught him. And uh, was just blown away. I mean, of course, everybody is. That was when it was he and Scott. And um, it was it was really a great show. You know, Jeff's one of the best showmen there is. And so it was after that. 
and that's when you know it kind of became it kind of became, um, it became a, a situation where it's like that's um, these are the guys that are doing it the best, right? And um, you don't want to uh, you don't want to step on toes, and so they started. Luckily, about that time, Jeff started moving towards bands, and um, and so we never really uh, we never really got to where we were playing together. We did do a couple of gigs together. We played once at the Bull, which was really, really cool. And, uh, of course, we got to sit in every now and then. But, uh, yeah, that's how I met Jeff and uh, and Scotty. Now Scotty has joined us a couple of times in uh, gigs around here. Yeah, so at what point did you start playing outside of the greater Atlanta area uh, for, for Paradise Clubs, Trop Park fans? Uh, how did you become aware of the greater movement outside of – Atlanta. Well, it, it, that all started when I went on the first uh, one of the first Parrothead cruises that I went on. Um, Bryn Jones booked me for one, and I think the year was around two thousand and six, maybe. And um, I went on that one solo and and played. Uh, I believe it was with um, with Katie Moore and um, Jim Morris. And boy, you talk about an intimidating situation. Jim Morris is just was the king of uh of being i mean every i couldn't believe it we got on the boat and it was like everybody knew him and all the shows everybody was dancing i thought holy cow who is this guy and you know it was just an amazing thing but that's when i started meeting people in the clubs and one of the first that i met was patty kaylee uh and if you know if you know patty you love her but um oh yes she she got us uh in at uh at put in bay for one of their uh Flockings there, and then she also got us a, like a bag stuffing gig at at uh, Meeting in the Mines years and years ago. So that kind of all uh, started it there, and then the Atlanta club uh, Joel Oates uh, worked it in so we could play at the Bull uh, when they were they always do their Welcome to the Island party. They used to, and uh, that's how we got that. We started on Wednesday night playing that one gig, and then the guy that owned the place uh, at the time, or the general manager Denny. Um, was you know counting his receipts and his liquor <laughs> sales and and book just started booking us for the whole week so um, that's kind of how it all started and uh, once we once we the Paradise Cruise was really the genesis of it all I mean without Brent uh, and I've told Brent this a million times that um, if he never booked me for anything else I would always be grateful to him but that's where it really started. Yeah, you're the first person uh, that I've talked to through this this project that's really talked about the Paradise Cruise so. I mean, how long? I, I know that was like a 10, 12 year run. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did it flame out? About 2012, 13, somewhere in there? Yeah, I believe so. We played our last one uh 2007. It was our last one on it. And I think they did a couple more after that. Um, it, was, um, it was an amazing event. Um, everything was well planned, everything was uh, fun, and everybody on the, the boat would, uh, would join in. I mean, there was no. Now, we know parrot heads. I mean, they're all comfortable in their own skin. And it would be, I, I really don't know how many he put on there. It seemed like it was three to 500. But, you know, it was always so funny because it was, other, it was not just parrot heads. There were, other, there were what we call humans on the boat. And um, you would see them, you know, in the elevators and stuff, and you'd hear them talking. And they'd say, there's another guy has got his toenails painted. And, and there's another one's just had his head shaved. So uh, that was kind of my people and my kind of thing. Um, but it was, it was really fun. The second time we did it, we did it with Lisa and I and Todd. Um, and, and, uh, we did that just, I think 2007. Um, after that, I, I'm, like I said, I'm not sure. I think he did a couple more. I, I uh, kind of got up, tired of begging him to get back on there, but uh, it was a great time. Yeah. You know, I, I've got this list of, I don't know, probably 60 or 65, uh, names of people that i want to interview for this project and uh the parrothead cruise had never occurred to me so i'm gonna have to add uh brent to that list because now that i think about it i you know you're only episode number 10 i think as we move forward we'll hear more and more people talk about the parrothead cruise so that's i'm adding that to the list of of things we need to (laughs) focus give a whole episode to so yeah if if anybody's been on it they'll talk about it yeah so I want to talk a little bit more about your band. Uh, I threw up on Facebook last night that I was going to be talking to you and uh, you know, if anybody had any ideas for things for us to talk about. And it sounded like a lot of people were trying to get you to tell stories that probably you shouldn't tell. 
Uh, yeah, I got a lot of history there. But uh, but Jeff Brewer had a had a very legit question. Uh, Jeff's, uh, of course, a musician, lives in Panama City, and he said he wanted to know more about how you had this nine-piece band. I, I've never seen your full the full band before, uh, but I've heard lots about you know lots about it. Um, how you keep a nine-piece band that lives all over the country sounding so tight when you you know how many full band gigs a year do you do? Well, right now it's two to three uh, because it's just so many people and it's so expensive and so hard to do. And a lot of the clubs, um, for whatever reason, I, I would imagine most of it's an um, expense issue. But um, we've we've been averaging three or four a year, and this year we had three scheduled, and all of them canceled except for Music on the Bay. But um, but yeah, it's um, for the big band. That's we, we usually average three or four a year. So, but how do you manage to keep keep a band super tight when you're you you all live far away from each other and you're only playing a handful of gigs a year? Well, the main thing is everybody in the band, with the exception of me, is a great musician and a, just a pro at what they do. Um, it has helped that we are uh, doing a lot of original stuff. So, uh, especially the last CD, that was everything on the last CD were the guys that's in the band now. So they know those songs down cold. Um, it, it kind of limits you to your set list. You know, you can't go off the reservation like I used to, and it kind of limits you to the version that you do. You can't get into any of these weird little offshoot jams, but the guys all know their part. They all uh, are ready for it. Uh, about a month before we play, they usually get together up there, uh, the bass drums and guitar up there. Todd and I are down here and, uh, usually Phil, uh, DeMond who plays percussion with us from time to time. And then, they just work it out. I mean, everybody uh, knows what they're going to do. If we have any questions, uh, David Dyke, who is our saxophone player and leader of the horns, he has charted every single song, and we have those charts available. We can, you know, with the right guy you, or, or gal, you can uh, you can just uh, book them for it and, sh- and send them to the, the page with all the charts, and they can see exactly what is expected of them and everything. So, you know, we do have uh, – we do have the uh, – the ugly moments now and then, but for the most part, everybody uh, is well-versed on what they want to do and, and what we're going to do. And they all know that, um, that they, they follow uh, what I do uh, very well. Uh, we've got a pretty good uh, rhythm with each other. We've got a pretty good understanding of each other. And um, there's, you know, the shows are pretty similar. We just kind of shake it up every now and then the order, but the set list it's pretty similar, and uh, the only thing that, that really is a little restricting about it is your, your set list has to be pretty limited. Yeah, but if you're if you're only doing it three or four times a year, that's not as big of a deal as if you were doing three shows a weekend, I would think. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it makes a difference, and um, again, the the, uh, the frequency of it is really we would do as many as we could. So the frequency of it uh, kind of helps them out. They're all, like I said, they're all pros. They, if they're not with me, every single one of them's in another band uh, most of the year, and I'm doing solo stuff. So everybody's keeping their chops up. It's not like we're sitting around with our feet up and then, oh no, we got a gig. Let me go over these songs real quick. So, um, so the night does help. Dwayne does a great deal. Dwayne Harlick, the guitar player in Detroit. He and sorry. Go ahead. Where, where does Dwayne live? Do you say he lives in Detroit? Yeah, he lives in Royal Oak, uh, which is right outside of Detroit. Um, Danny and uh, Danny McCann's our drummer, and he also lives up there. And um, Dave Hendrickson's our bass player, and he's also from that area, Livonia. So they all live within about a 10, 15, 20-mile radius of each other. And then the place that we recorded and at their houses, they have rehearsal spaces. So if they do have to do something new, if I do throw a new song on there, We've got versions of everything the way I want to do them, um, and then they can go and rehearse based on the uh, the version of how I want it done. Wow! So you guys really are spread all over. Yeah, the country. yeah. We're uh, we've got those three in uh, Michigan. We've got um, the horn section uh, is all over. We've used people from mainly from Orlando. We got Rich Thomas and uh, Chris King from Orlando, and then David Dykes also from Detroit area. He's our sax player, and uh, you know. Philip DeMond is up our way. He lives up in Woodstock uh, for percussion. We also have uh, Scott Thompson. He lives down in Orlando or in uh, Tampa. We use him from time to time. So, yeah, it just depends on who's available and who we can get there. Uh, and then for the other gigs that we can't travel them, we always find somebody local 
to bring in. Like I said, with the horns, we can just hand them the chart. But the, the core band is always up on the stage. Yeah. So the nine-piece band is, is what's the configuration for that? Okay. We have uh, me on uh, singing the guitar. We have Dwayne Harlick, lead guitar. Dave Hendrickson is on bass. Dan McCann is the drummer. Tide Aggie is the keyboard. Three-piece horn section. Uh, depending on who's local, and then a percussionist, which is usually Philip Dumont. So that gives us nine. And it, music on the bass, Sonny Jim, James White, always sits in with us on the pans because um, I wouldn't be able to get the gig if I didn't let him in because he knows Bill real well. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully he hears this. But, yeah, that's that gets ten up there, but normally it's nine pieces. Wow, that's a – it's probably the biggest band in Trapper Rock, I would think. I mean, that's um, if it's not, if it's not. We'll hire somebody else. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's even two or three pieces more than the boat drunk. So that's that's pretty impressive. So yeah, it's a uh, it's a good bunch of guys, uh, and they all uh, make it easy on me. You know, hurting that many people up before the show is a little uh, antsy. But uh, once everybody's on stage, I never have a worry. Well, I, I I know that uh, Dwayne and uh, Todd have both played with you for forever and a day, so I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about them and, and how you met them and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, Todd, I met, uh, we worked together, and um, he was, uh, at the time, not performing that much, but um, he plays the keyboards, and he had, he and I got together and started playing a lot of stuff. Todd's uh, uh, one of these guys that can hear a song one time and have it, um, so it was really easy for us to get together. For me, I have to rehearse and rehearse and learn, you know, play the song over and over and over. So he made that easier. Uh, we did a lot of stuff, uh, duo stuff, using the tracks, and then duo stuff, just acoustic. And uh, we did that for years. And then as we would have opportunities for bigger stuff, he, he knew Dwayne. He and Dwayne were uh, – Todd used to live in Detroit also. He and Dwayne were in a band up there called The Big Picture. And uh, that's how he knew Dwayne, and we would fly Dwayne in for some of the other things and kind of hit it off with him uh, immediately. Dwayne is uh, um, just a uh, – I call him a witch. The guy can play um, unbelievable. And the best you know, the best thing about having him in there is that he – Dwayne hears everything. So I don't fear messing up in front of the crowd as much as I do fear messing up in front of Dwayne because he'll <laughs> call you out on it. But, um, but he um, – like I said, he knew the other guys. He's uh, he helped me write a bunch of the last CD. He produced it. Just a great, great musician, and and more than a, uh, a notes musician, he's a guy that knows music and knows uh, how things should go together. He's got a really great feel for um, for how all the instruments should, should blend. Uh, a lot of times, when you get uh, that many pro level people, by definition, they've got to have they've got to have ego and cockiness, or they wouldn't step up on the stage. But everybody, uh, everybody puts that into their playing and not into attitude. And uh, and Dwayne is probably the best at that. He uh, he's one of the most humble people you'll ever meet, and one of the most talented. So uh, that's how I, I kind of got together with those two. Dwayne uh, or Todd helped me on the first two CDs I did. Basically, he did everything on those, and I played a little guitar and sang. And Dwayne would come in and do uh, some lead solos for us. And then on the third one, uh, Dwayne and I just, I don't know, we were just messing around and I had started sending him some lyrics that I had because I'd heard some of his stuff. He's got several CDs on his own and lyrically um, he's amazing. Uh, I could send him stuff that like uh, I've told the story many times, but I've sent him a couple of songs that he changed one or two words and it changed the whole song. And it's just that, that talented and that he can, He's got a sense for what makes a good song. So uh, I like working with him in that way. And, of course, on stage, it's always a blast. Yeah, the, the, last, uh, the last CD you did, Time on the Water, um, I think it is really, really underrated uh, across the community. Um, maybe just because I live in Texas and, and, and not over on the East Coast, but uh, it's, it's great. And uh, I, I don't think it's gotten the love that it deserved uh, from well, a lot I appreciate of people. So. <laughs> I appreciate that. I know Dwayne does. We um, we were very, very proud of it um, all the way through. We knew we had something or felt like we had something really special while we were doing it. And then when it um, when it got finished, I mean, I can remember when when we when he finally sent the, the final masters to me and I, Jenny and I, my wife, were sitting here and we were listening to it. And there was some song, there were some things, a couple songs that he had had a few finishing parts to put on after I did my vocals. Uh, we recorded it up in, in uh, Michigan also. 
So I haven't heard it. I haven't heard some of the finished versions. And we were just blown away by it, the thickness that he put into it and the uh, production value. So um, we were really proud of it. Um, you know, it's not uh, – we're in a kind of a similar place to uh, to uh, your guy there, Jerry, and, and that we kind of live on the fringe of uh, – we're not really deep trop rock. All, every cut on there is uh, – you know, trop rock stuff. There's, there's a lot of country on ours is rock and roll. And so I love, I love the definition that Jerry, I think told me once about his music is calling it Gulf coastal kind of a vibe. And that's exactly what we wanted. I grew up around, you know, going down to the Gulf coast as many times as I could. And all those, all those bars on the, on the coast, you know, from, from all the way around from Mississippi all the way down to Tampa, you just go along there and there's just all these funky little bars used to be there before the corporations took over and there was always some kick-ass band in there. And that was the kind of music I really liked. And that's kind of what we tried to, uh, to gather in on that one. So I, d- I do appreciate the kind words. Um, uh, it's nice to get to hear people say that. Well, while we're on the subject, uh, I want to talk about one song specifically, uh, seven mile bridge to me. It's probably one of the, if I was going to sit down and make a list of like my 10 favorite, trap rock songs by independent artists uh seven mile bridge would be on it so let's talk about that a little bit sure um that was Dwayne. uh almost all that song was Dwayne. he came up with the idea we were talking and he said we got to do a song about uh about that that seven mile bridge in the sunset and uh we started talking it through and uh the story Dwayne's a story songwriter and i'm like a flow of thought songwriter um you can almost listen to the CD and tell who wrote what, because if there's a story in there, Dwayne had a heavy hand. And if it's a lot of what the hell is he talking about? That's pretty much my stuff. So, but seven mile bridge was a story that we worked on. Um, he came through with the, with most of the lyrics. I only added a few things um, and a few different, um, uh, I guess, uh, inflections to it. But uh, yeah, that was really, and that's him at his best. It was such a great, vibe when he when we first got the lyrics down and we were and i was messing with that i really thought i was thinking you know i'm not sure about this it it uh it really seemed to be uh, a little bit um off my comfort zone but when we put the music to it and, and the first time we started playing through it it was like okay i i got it now and uh that song really has grown and it gets a lot of uh, a lot of love and it really is kind of you know, pisses me off a little bit that he's the main writer on that one and not me. But yeah, I do appreciate it. I know Dwayne does also. Uh, I always want to make sure everybody knows that uh, that song would not be written without him. But uh, uh, we appreciate that. Yeah, it's a lyrically, it's a it's a great song. But production wise, it's one of the most rock and trop rock songs you'll probably find anywhere. So mm-hmm. definitely got a, some. 70s and 80s rock vibe to it yeah it was um you know you get those detroit guys those roots come out and um it it really to me had a uh, a bob seger vibe to it a little bit um yeah when we recorded it um i really uh, it was one of those you know you when you re- we had to do my vocals because of studio time we had to do them basically in two days and when i did that one i mean uh, there was a part in there, and I'm, um, I'll spare the details, but I just could not sing it the way that Dwayne wanted it. And we went over it and over it and over it, and I was ready to kill him. And finally, the guy that was there, was our engineer, uh, basically said, just sing the part and, and sing it and sing it and sing it. When that part comes in, sing it there. So we finally got that part down, and hearing it the way I wanted to sing it and the way that it came out now – Obviously, it was better that way. Uh, of course, I thought my way was better at the time, but hearing it, I'm glad they did. It was it was a, a labor of love. I was glad that song was over when I finished recording it. Yeah, I guess the first time I heard that song was uh, Gulf Coast Days in New Orleans, 2018. We brought you and Dwayne and Todd in as a trio for the Friday mm-hmm. night slot, and uh, right. I, I was blown away by that song, but Jerry and I were both pretty uh, impressed by both Dwayne and uh, and and Todd uh, and of course I'd seen Todd play a few times with you, but uh, we were we were pretty Im- uh, impressed with them and and uh, and, and enjoy the whole show. So uh, you got a good thing going. Keep it up, man. I appreciate it very much. We uh, we love playing. Yeah, and and you, I got to tell you this. I'm a, I'm a very anti tracks guy. Um, right. <laughs> but you, 
it, it, the people who use tracks, you would be very high on my list of people that, that I would say use them well um, and, and have good quality tracks, not just something they bought off the internet somewhere. So, Well, thank you. We um, basically, um, I've stopped pretty much using them except for solo stuff, um, especially with the, when, when I get Todd and Dwayne up there. We've got a pretty thick sound now. We've got enough of original stuff that we can, uh, we can pull it off. Yeah. Well, I look forward to the next time I get to see, uh, see you guys play. So hopefully, hopefully life well, gets you, back man. to normal. And uh, there's a chance I may be going to music on the Bay this year. So hopefully I'll see you all play there. So well, I'd be great. It would be a blast. Come on down. Uh, I'm hoping so. Hey, y'all. This is Kitty Stedman from Drop Dead Dangerous. I want to thank you for listening to Trop Rock 101 podcast with Pirates and Poets. Pirates and Poets is a crucial platform for independent artists and writers, and they have been working tirelessly to make sure that we make it through this difficult time. Please show them your support as well by visiting piratesandpoets.net slash store or piratesandpoets.net slash donate. Cheers, y'all. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, about who you listened to growing up, who your influences were, uh, where your songwriting style comes from, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was um, when I was young. The first the the thing that got me hooked on performing was Elvis Presley. <laughs> we went and saw him in the Omni in Atlanta in, in the seventies. One of his uh, you know one of his later tours, but um, I don't remember much about the music. Uh, I know it was Elvis and my mom and dad loved Elvis, but this show to me was just so incredible. The, the effect that he had on the audience and the way that people were just uh, all over everything he did. And so I had always been uh, since then. And, and, and along that line is I'm a big fan of, of live music. A lot of my music that I listen to is live recordings uh, they can have the ugliness in there, the missed notes and all that, but it's just raw. It's, it's, um, it's the feel of what's going on. I've always enjoyed love, the live shows. That's what sold me on Buffett, even though I, I knew and played his songs when I went to the first concert in Atlanta, which is, uh, used to be one of the you know, core crazy tailgate scenes. And we drove in there and they were saying, well, now nah, we got to get there at noon. I thought, why don't we get there at 7 o'clock? Why don't we get there at noon for a 7 o'clock show? Well, man. So after that, every year we're getting there waiting when they open the, the gates. But the whole thing, the whole vibe of the audience to me uh, has influenced my uh, my writing more than anything else. As I said, I, when I jot down notes or a song or whatever, it's usually something that pops into my head. I, I very rarely, with maybe exception of three or four songs where I sat down and just wrote the whole song. It's usually a thought, a, a hook, a line, and then I'll come back to it and, and adjust it and everything. And, one of the things uh, along those lines that, that Dwayne basically taught me was, you know, turn the thing in, do it, what is it your best shot and leave it alone. Um, you know, it's going to be what it is. So that's basically the, uh, the influence as far as, as performing, as far as music, I've listened to everything. I've, uh, my dad was a, a jukebox repairman back in the old days. And when he would bring home 45s off the jukebox, and I had a stack of them a mile high, and uh, it was everything. It was Motown. It was country. It was, I mean, hardcore 70s country, Patsy Cline and George Jones and all that, and it was rock and roll, and it was all this, uh, all this hodgepodge of music that, uh, that I really, really enjoyed. Um, playing style nowadays is probably uh, a little bit more. I really like Zach Brown Band a lot. Um, I like the stuff that uh, – I like new stuff that's um, – different not uh not like yes different but just uh you know not the the same old thing that's kind of where uh what i listen to these days but yeah if you if you picked up my uh my iphone you'd see a whole bunch of music on there saying you know what the hell (laughs) is this your wife's (laughs) stuff like that but it, it basically um if i've seen somebody live or heard them live um and then start listening to their music. That's probably how it all started. Gotcha. Uh, who, who, any, anything that you'd recommend people go check out some kind of off the wall indie artist that's your personal favorite, but most people probably haven't heard of. You know, I, 
I really don't know. I, I can't think of anybody that I specifically would listen to and think uh, everybody needs to hear this band. The, the, on the heavier side, there's uh, the guy that used to be the bass player for Molly Crew, Nikki Six, has a band called 6 A.M., which is just fantastic. The lyrics and the music, I mean, it's heavy metal or, or, or leaning that way, but uh, I don't hear a whole lot of buzz about them, but uh, their stuff is really, really good. There's a, a band called Ocean Color Scheme, which has some really raw, uh, you know, kind of blue, uh, black crow feel to it, which is really uh, something that I've listened to a good bit. Um, but, you know, I, I really have to sit down and think about it because if I hear something and download it, you know, uh, that's pretty much what it is. Not, not really indie, but uh, somebody that I've um, – there's two, two uh, people that I just heard about that have been around forever. One's Dwight Yoakam. I didn't just hear about him. But I just started listening to his music. And, um, you know, his, his stuff I really started to like a lot. And I can't remember the other guy's name right off the bat. Now he's a country guy, um, but uh, I, I wish I could remember his name. But I really uh, he he sang um, anywhere with you, Jake Owen. Uh, so oh, yeah. I've started listening to a lot of that. I like his songs a lot. Have you uh, heard the Dwight Yoakam Bluegrass album? I have not. I heard about it. My cousin is a big Dwight Yoakam fan. He keeps telling me I got to go buy it. Yeah, there's a. Uh there's a cover of purple rain on there that's oh really <laughs> it's, uh, i'm not a bluegrass fan but but uh I, you know two or three songs of that every once in a while it's yeah. a lot of fun i wouldn't want to listen to it for hours on end but well you know, that's kind of that's kind of the way i am i mean i like a lot of the texas music i love zz top stevie ray I, I couldn't get enough of him um and so that texas vibe i really like that but, but yeah you know a couple hours of that and you really need to turn the telecaster on and get out of that twang for a minute. But uh, yeah, I do like, I'm a big fan of the, um, I really love Stevie Ray Vaughan. I, um, that was one of the first uh, real true artists when they died that it was really, it was like, Oh, it's not like, you know, that's too bad. It's like, Holy cow, Stevie Ray's gone. So, uh, but, but that kind of stuff, I really don't, as far as indie, I can't think of anything. Um, there is another band. They're not indie too, but uh, that I liked a lot. Um, and I can't remember their name either. So, but basically, if I hear something I like, I pop it on the iPad and start listening to it. Cool. I'll have to go check some of those out. Sounds. Uh, yeah. I'm. I'm kind of. I'm like you. I'm kind of all over the place with what I listen to. So I like finding new stuff to check out. So, uh, yeah, kind of yeah. turning back to trap rock, the trap rock world a little bit. Uh, we talked about the Faraday Cruise and music on the bay a little bit. But uh, any other events that you've gotten to attend and perform at over the years that that kind of stand out to you? Um, rendezvous in, in, in Panama city was always a, a blast. Um, I mean, it's right there on the beach and boy, it is beautiful. Well, you know, you've been there for that one. Um, yeah. loved rendezvous playing there. We, um, we had a gig in, uh, up in, it's not really a flocking or parrot head thing, but it's called cheeseburger in Caseville. It's in Caseville, Michigan, which is, uh, anytime you talk to somebody about the state of Michigan, they, tell you in relation to the thumb or the, the mitt because Michigan's shaped like a mitt. So if you look on the thumb on Lake Huron, there's a little town called Caseville and they throw this festival every year and it's three to 5,000 people in the crowd. And we really, really enjoyed playing that one. It got canceled this year, unfortunately. But uh, those, uh, those are the big three we've done. We played a bunch in Florida. Um, for some reason, we've, we've got a really great vibe down there. Of course, we've never played – except for the the little thing at the back stuff. And we've never played meeting on the mines. We've played at the bull down there uh, during that time frame. But we've, uh, as far as the other stuff, um, I was just trying to think here of some of the places we've been. We've been uh, a lot of different joints, but uh, those are the big ones. Yeah. Uh, cheeseburger in Caseville that I, I hear about it occasionally. And, uh, you know, it was in the parrot head film, I guess, uh, but I, I don't know that much about it. It's something I would be interested in, in learning more about. I, I'm guessing Dwayne helped you get into that one. Actually, it was Don Middlebrook. Um, oh, really? Don saw us playing at Put in Bay. Um, the last time we played there, they uh, that was uh, there's a little funky band. In there. You ever been to Put in Bay? In- uh, yes, I have. Okay, it's, it's okay. like an experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we were playing there. Um, at Mr. Ed's, I think is the name of the bar. And Middlebrook was in the crowd and said, man, I know, I know a thing uh, would be perfect for you guys. And, and you know how it is. You've been around uh, bands. You, 
you worked it before and everybody, if we had every gig that people were said they were going to book us for, we, we work every 52 days, uh, 52 weeks a year. Right. But right. so yeah, yeah, sure. Well, he called me back up and, and booked us for it. And we went up there and their whole, I mean, they shut the whole town down. Um, and they've got an amphitheater in their park and right behind it is, uh, is the campgrounds and it's just packed with people. And uh, all they want to do is uh, wander around all day drinking and, and listen to music. And so we were just blown away by the crowd. Um, the the team up there uh, really take good care of us. We met, you know, we we ran into a couple of people the first year we played um, who said, you know, come on back to our campground here. We've got a tiki bar set up. And we're thinking, yeah, okay, sure. Well, they had rented like four spaces. They had brought their own ice machine. They brought their own generators. They had this whole bar set up. And we see them every year. So it's it's really a great, fun festival. They close it down. You walk up and down the street. There's uh, vendors and stuff. And uh, we've always enjoyed that. And we're really bummed out we didn't get to play that one this year. But, yeah, if you ever get a chance, I would highly recommend it. So is it – I mean, just the name Cheeseburger makes me think it's some kind of Buffett-themed. It is. They um, they they um, acknowledge the roots. They don't. It's not a Buffett festival. But they, they have cheeseburger contests. They have their uh, costumes, you know, and the hats, and uh, they have a parade. Uh, they are influenced by Buffett, and they want a lot of Buffett music. So we do our set list on that is probably 80% uh, covers from Buffett or, or, you know, dance covers, that kind of thing. And then just uh, we slip in an original here and there. Is it put on by Paradise Club, or is it just like the – No, it's the, cam- it's the Chamber of Commerce in Caseville, Michigan. Um, and yeah, they, uh, they do this, uh, they do it upright, man. Uh, it's like a week long festival. We played the beginning and the end of it. And it's just as crazy on either end. I'm going to have to investigate this more. It's a, yeah, it intrigues me. <laughs> I highly recommend it. It's a fun, fun time. It was kind of a, um, it was kind of an eye opening thing to me because I, you know, I live in Atlanta and I've, never been farther north than West Virginia. So uh, the first time up there, I was expecting God knows what. And in Michigan, once you drive outside of Detroit and all the car manufacturers, Pontiac and all that, it is just absolutely gorgeous country. It's, it's cornfields and windmills. And, and then when you get up around the lakes, the, the, the whole area there is just uh, very beautiful. I was blown away by how nice it is, especially up there on Lake Huron. And um, they say the other side over on Michigan is even better. So, it's really a great uh, a great state. I enjoyed it a lot, and I love going up there. The people are always fun. Interesting. I've my limited experience with Michigan was just with Detroit. We flew into Detroit when we went to uh, Putin Bay, uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, that if just I can tell you Putin Bay, and and I guess that's Lake Erie, man. It's 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 very interesting. In some ways, it's it's very similar to you know, like where I live on the Texas coast. And then other ways it's totally not, you know, yeah. so. <laughs> it's a funky town, man. Every time we've been there, something weird happened. Um, we were told the, the last time we played, we were told, you know, you're seven to nine and at nine o'clock, you're not just done. You're done. You're not finishing up a song. You haven't, you're not two minutes into a song. You're done. So we, we, we got the message cause he went, the guy that owned the bar wanted to get, uh, a uh, DJ in and have, you know, there were a lot of kids from Michigan and all the colleges up there, that Ohio State, that wanted to come in and party. Well, we're playing in, in about five minutes till nine. You know, I'm telling everybody, okay, guys, kind of be like the Beatles here, last note and get out of town. And he came up and, you know, guys, you got to play an extra hour. You got to play an extra hour. Well, <laughs> sure, we'd love to. And we didn't even have we didn't have set lists. We didn't know where we were going to play. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a funky town. Uh, we always had a great time there. I really hate that the uh, – that their flocking thing uh, had to go by the wayside. They still do a small thing up there, but yeah, uh, it's always a, enjoyed it. I guess the best analogy for Putin Bay is what Panama City Beach is to Alabama and Tennessee. You know, Ole Miss. That's what Putin Bay is to the college kids of Ohio State, Michigan. You know, Indiana, all that, and. Yeah, it, I mean, it was crazy because it was like for about 30 minutes there, there's like this clash of cultures. The, the, <laughs> the 60-year-old parrothead crowd and with the 20-year-old like party, you know, yeah. It, it was yeah, crazy. that's exactly right. Exactly right. Um, we um, we went out afterwards and, you know, I, I told him, the guy in the band thought, geez, man, 
I never felt so old in my life uh, when we were outdoors, <laughs> but it's a cool vibe. And you're right. That's almost exactly what it's like. It's like their, uh, their getaway. Uh, because it's an island, people like to refer it or relate it to Key West, but I, I'm with you. I think it's more like a beach town than Key West. Yeah, we uh, Jerry's played it several times. I've only been up there once, but we were we were you know out in town after before after the show, one or the other. And Jerry was wearing a, a UT Texas Longhorn shirt, and uh, mm-hmm. this chick, I mean, she was twenty one, twenty two, walked up and just and this was not good natured, you know, the way people sometimes give you shit about your college team this was i mean she just laid into him you need to take that off or get out of here we don't want people like you i mean it was just amazing <laughs> she was an ohio state fan you know i mean yeah yeah that figures out and i think this was you know this was you know 2007 2008 when texas was still really good and so was ohio state you know yeah yeah it, it was it was like oh wow we got it might be time for us to head home you know yeah that's exactly right if you ever see one of those pictures of like a pool that has no water in it because it's full of people that's put in bay. That's what the yes. pools are like around there. Uh-huh. Did you guys stay at the, uh, in the band room at, at Mr. Ed's? We did not. We stayed. Um, the first year I went, I stayed at a, some campground. I couldn't tell you where KD drove me around. And then uh, I've heard about it, but the last year I stayed at a, a little, we just had people scattered all over the island where we could get a room. Um, and I ended up at a hotel right across the street from it. But I've heard about it, and yeah, it's bad. Uh, so Jerry went. <laughs> Jerry went several year, years solo, you know. Yeah. And then they said, "Bring the band up here." So we took the whole band up there, and of course, him and Mary went off and stayed in some bed and breakfast where they'd been staying for years. So me right. and all the guys in the band end up in the band room at Mr. Ed's, and it looked like the Rolling. <laughs> it looked like the Rolling yeah. Stones had a party there in 1965, and they never cleaned up. <laughs> Yeah, and, well, that's uh, <laughs> that's kind of like the, they give you a house in um, in Caseville, the band house, and um, that whole area up there. I don't. I think the last new house was built probably in 1950, but it, it's not nasty. It was clean, but it was a big old. You know, it, you get in your mind of a picture of a haunted house, and when you went in, you know, up there, things are so much. You know, culturally, things are just different between the South and everywhere else, but. Up there, because it's so cold um, most of the time, they didn't have air conditioning. So they had all these air conditioners in the windows, and it was hot. And so we're cranking all those, and in the kitchen there's this room or a door that went down to a cellar, and I thought, you know, um, I'm getting a Silence of the Lambs vibe here. So, But, no, it was it was clean. It was not dirty, but it was just a weird vibe. So every yeah. year we go up there, we get something like that. Oh, yeah, that put in bay thing, man. It was like all the guys in the band were just losing their minds. And, and uh, I, I just I just went back out to the party. <laughs> I went back out to the party, looked around, and I said, hey, Wayne, Wayne Williamson. You know, I know your buddies are the one. Yeah. I said, Wayne, you got any, like, a couch or extra bed or anything in your room? And he goes, <laughs> he goes no, you know, Steve, Steve's staying with me. And uh, I said, mm-hmm. you got an extra pillow, extra blanket? And he goes, yeah, I think there's one in the closet. I said, "Can I sleep on your floor?" <laughs> so I, I didn't. I didn't stay in the nasty, in the nasty band room, you know. And the guys in the band yeah. are just they're just screaming bloody murder the entire time and for three yeah. days. They're just and it's not and it's not quiet up there either where that no, bar, where that room no. is. Something you're right at ground zero. So we finally get uh, get. <laughs> on the ferry going home and the guys are still complaining and Jerry turns around and looks at everybody and he goes, I wish y'all all just shut the hell up. You're, you're whining like a bunch of babies. John boy hasn't complained at all. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's because I went and found somewhere else to sleep. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's my put in bay story. So yeah. Uh, hopefully that oh, yeah. we've to- all got tales of woe on how we had to crash. But yeah. Hopefully that event comes back in some form or fashion. Cause it's a very unique place. And, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so. so, hey, uh, go ahead and start winding this up. But uh, I always end with a series of rapid fire questions. So if you are ready, I will start shooting them at you. Okay. If you're prepared. All right. Uh, all right. What is your favorite Jimmy Buffett song? Um, Stories We Could Tell, which is actually a John Sebastian song, but I love that tune. Favorite cocktail? That would be a margarita or a uh, beer, but that's not really a cocktail. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Chesney or Bob Marley? Kenny Chesney. 
I know that's going to lose me a lot of fans. <laughs> yeah, uh, Bob Marley is winning that question in the landslide, but you're helping out yeah. Chesney a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite song by an independent trap rock artist? Um, favorite song by an independent trap rock artist? Um, I like the one, and I'm, I'm James White does it. It's uh, Navy Davy Jones Navy or something. Blackbeard's I, Navy. God, I'm just Blackbeard's Navy. God, sorry, James. Uh, Blackbeard's Navy. I love that tune. That's a. Uh, I need to go back and count it up. But you're at least the third person to mention that song for that. Yeah, question. yeah. So, great tune. Great tune. Uh, what's a book that you've enjoyed that you think everybody should go check out? Oh my! Um, wow. Um, you know, I read so many of these uh, novels. You want to rapid fire? Uh, the Godfather. The Godfather. Go, but finish yeah. your question. Go, finish. No, your I, I, I get on authors, and I tell you that I swear to God, I can't remember the name of the book because I just read everything they write. Um, uh, Clancy is one of my favorites. Before he had the Ghost Riders, and probably uh, um, one of my favorites from him was The Hunt for Red October. But uh, uh, but yeah, the, uh, the Godfather is probably my favorite book. Mario Puzo. All right. What's your favorite beach? Panama City Beach. I had a feeling that was going to. Yeah. <laughs> favorite Buffett album? A1A. See, I was kind of expecting you to go with the live one that was recorded in Atlanta. I did like that, but, um, you know, A1A just has such a, a groove to it. Um, I can sit and listen to the whole A1A. But I don't think I could sit and listen to uh, the whole live one. So that's yeah. kind of where, where I got that from. All right. And here's the big one. Uh, if you were going to create a Mount Rushmore of independent trap rock artists, what four people would you put on it? Terry Giles, uh, Sonny Jim, James White, um, John Frenzy, and the fourth. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, uh, Jim Morris. You did pretty good. Most people really struggle with that. I've, uh, well, those are the guys that uh, they're the guys that, I mean, frenzy is, uh, when I was on the first cruise, um, and with a nervous wreck, he was, uh, just amazing to, to play with. And, uh, that built a good friendship between us and, uh, James White, if you don't like him, you know, you need to, you need to leave the country. <laughs> and of course, uh, the rest of the, you know, but that, that's, that was pretty easy for me. All right. And if you were going to add one non-musician to that, someone from the community who does not play or sing, who would it be? For the trial rock, not Rushmore, Bill yes. Connolly. Music Bill Connolly. Bay. Yep. All right. There is Jim Asbell's rapid fire answers. So, well, Hey, before we get out of here, uh, What's on the horizon for you and the Tropaholics? Any new music? Any anything that you hope happens in twenty twenty one? I've got a couple of solo things that were that are going to go, so I'm going to get to play a couple more times this year. Um, Dwayne and I have been swapping songs, and uh, we'll probably start putting some uh, some stuff together there. I don't have a date or a timeline on that; those kind of just flow. But I would say we probably swapped about four or five so far. Um, and we'll probably start working on those here in the next God knows when, because we don't have anything else to do. Right. Uh, as far as the band put in, um, uh, just waiting that out, man. Yeah. You sound like everybody else. We'll just waiting mm-hmm. to see what happens. Uh, yeah. I, I think yeah. that we might see a rush of albums. Everybody may drop an album next year. Just because yeah, I think so too. <laughs> nothing to do, but right. 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 And again, it's, it's tough for me because I don't like writing when I'm pissed off. And uh, this thing is getting really into that pissed off range. So I'm trying to, uh, I try to erase uh, the days from my writing. And, and so uh, what I've been doing a lot of is going back to some that I had penned earlier that I, uh, I left halfway or wanted to work on. I haven't really sat down and, uh, and wrote anything since this all started because I really am not in a great mood right now. So I think uh, uh, we're working on some stuff, though. Dwayne's sent me a couple things, which are always winners on his part. Yeah. I look forward to uh, any new material coming out from y'all, and, and hopefully I will see you somewhere soon. Uh, let's let's try to get you to Texas in 2021. So. That'd be great, man. Thanks so much for the uh, interview. I appreciate it. Not a problem. See you soon, man. Thanks. Okay. Take care, John. See you.